0: Let's go. You're listening to KZSU, Stanford University's FM radio station, broadcasting across the
1: Yay area on 90.1 and across the world at KZSU.org. Welcome to Brands Beats and Bites, hosted by Daryl DC Cobbin and Larry Taman. Brands Beats and Bites stands at the intersection of brand tech and culture. We bring you interesting people and insightful points of view on what's popping and not popping in marketing, tech, culture, and beyond. DC and Larry are fascinated with the stories and people behind some of the best marketing in the business. No matter how dope your product, if your marketing sucks, your company may suck too. They both serve as managing partners at Marketing Consultancy Brand Positioning Doctors, where they help companies large and small, tech and non-tech, build better marketers so they can build great brands.
0: What's happening, brand nerds? I have to say now, um, there's a bit of a news flash. Yesterday was the third day in a row that Earth broke its temperature for heat. The third consecutive day. And brand nerds, for those of you all who do not believe that something ha- is happening with our climate, bless you. But something's happening with our climate. Yes. But to make a yeah, Larry. But to make a connection to that, we got a hot show.
2: That's right. This
0: is a hot show today, brand nerds. I'm going to list off a couple of things to give you an example. Kleenex. Band-Aid, ping pong, popsicle.
2: I know where you're going.
0: Jet ski. Yeah, Larry, you see where I'm going. Velcro. So brand nerds, you may think of these words as categories. Give me a Kleenex so I can have something to pat my nose. Or give me a Band-Aid so I can put something on the abrasion that I have on my hand or on my finger. But each of these brand nerds, these are not just categories. These are brands. And each of these brands define an entire category and have for decades. And brand nerds in the building today, LT, is someone who knows a little something about that.
2: That's right.
0: LT, who do we have in the building with us today, please?
2: Oh, DC, we have. Uh, my good friend, Abe Smith, in the house today. Welcome, Abe. Hey, good to see you both. Thank you for having me.
3: I, okay. I feel inspired by DC's introduction. I feel hot all of a sudden. I, just, <laughs> I don't know if I should. But you should, all right.
1: you should. Okay. All
0: right,
3: it's not should. the temperature. It's just all DC. In the-
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so brand nerds, DC did a great setup here. So we got to go straight to... Abe's wonderful background, and you'll see where D.C. was going. Uh, Straight up, we have another great guest who's a friend of the show and someone who is a true testament about working hard and treating people well, which leads to great success as a C-level tech leader here in Silicon Valley. Let's get into Abe's fantastic background. Abe is a born and bred Boston guy who matriculated at the University of Massachusetts, where he earns a degree in political science with an international relations certification. So D., Abe's first job is actually teaching English in a small rural town in Japan. Oh, wow. Yeah, this is all relevant, by the way. So Abe Abe then comes back to Boston where he works for Heroics Corporation and Enterprise System Software. Take note, brand nerds, how these first jobs both become foundational to Abe's career. So Abe's next move is to Petrovsky's International in St. Louis, dealing with new in-store Food service products and restaurant pizza kiosk for QSR, where he works his way up to be director of sales and marketing. Highlights include sales increases of 425%, 200 percent 80% in successive years, and personally winning clients in 42 states and five countries. So not bad. Not not bad, Abe. Not bad. Okay. We're starting, we're starting with some some results. (laughs) There's
3: no heat on this.
2: There's heat. There's heat. All right. So now Abe makes the move to Silicon Valley. First, as director of marketing and sales at Vision Planner, and then moves over to WebEx, which was really one of the first leaders in video conferencing. Again, take note about that, brand nerds. Abe makes an immediate impact where, in his first month of selling, he wins the prestigious Top Gun Selling Award with 238% of quota. He eventually works his way up to his first international specific assignment where he becomes senior director of sales for APAC, Japan and Latin America and achieves over 100% of the annual goal and WebEx is then bought by Cisco. At Cisco, Abe quickly becomes an important player in the international scene where he, he becomes senior director of emerging markets where he was responsible for sales growth and strategy in India, Asia Pacific, Japan, Africa and the Middle East, Eastern Europe and Latin America, where his teams consistently achieve great results. So D, Abe then gets a call to be VP GM for Americas and Asia Pacific at Mindjet, an innovation management software company where he's hired to build a go-to market sales strategy and build out world-class sales organization. As Abe always does, he makes an immediate impact by growing sales by 50% in his first year, and he is then promoted to SVP, where he is awarded a Stevie Award for National VP of Sales of the Year. So after Mindjet is acquired by Corel Software, Abe moves on to Badgeville, a global leader and gold standard for gamification as their VP of BizDev and Channel Alliances. Cool gig, but Abe gets a really big opportunity to join Oracle, yes, Oracle, as their group VP of sales emerging markets. As Abe always does, he and his team kill it at Oracle, where they consistently drive outstanding results. So, all right, D, in the Bay, if you're killing it at Oracle, there's a lot of pressure, but it's a nice Mm -hmm. gig. But check this out. Abe Mm -hmm. gets a fantastic opportunity to join Cision, the market leader, transforming the PR communications industry in the cloud as president of Europe, Middle East, India, and Africa, based in London, where he was Mm -hmm. responsible for over 2,000 employees and approximately 30% of the $700 million plus business for this New York Stock Exchange publicly traded company. While Cision was super cool, Abe and his family really wanted to be back here in the Bay and check us out. Note this date. In January 2019, Abe joined Zoom as their head of international, where Abe and his team have driven crazy record, record results since. So that's right, brand nerd Zoom. That's what DC was alluding to. Mm-hmm. So yes, he has some very interesting stories from March of 2020 and beyond. So welcome to Brands Beats and Bites, Abe Smith.
3: Well, thank you, thanks uh, LT, and thanks CC, for having me. I have to say, I think if my mother had given me an introduction, it would probably be <laughs> le- it would be less gratifying to hear than what you. Did. So thank you for, <laughs> rest in peace <laughs> for your mom. Right here, so I appreciate it. Thank you. It's it's a pleasure to be here, and uh, it's uh, it's great to talk brand with you both.
0: Thank you, uh, Abe. Yeah. Larry is a savant at yes. uh, presenting people with their flowers, and oftentimes, as you well know, Abe. We don't get to hear things like this until we're in a box. So this right. is this is Thank nice you. that you're hearing yeah. it now. You're you're hearing yeah. it now. All that right. So, Very um, next section is called "Get Comfy." And uh, LT, I got two. I got two here on right. "Get Comfy." Normally, we only do one A, but Uh-oh. I was noticing something as it's not yours. an Oh wait, it's easy. Um, not just one, yeah. but
3: two. <laughs> not,
0: not just one, but two. Okay. So on the one hand we hear about these large juggernaut companies called Cisco and Oracle and now Zoom. On the other hand, we have Vision Planner, Mindjet, and I don't know how, how large uh, Sysun is. is, uh, is. Um, I don't know if that's mid-cap, yeah, small-cap, large-cap.
3: It was about 700 million or so. Yeah. About
0: 700 million, okay, right. Okay, so different than an Oracle or Cisco or or Zoom. How How have you been able to to play this small company, big company, small company thing. How, how has that been for you as you've gone through your, your career?
3: Yeah it's, a, yeah, it's a great question. You know, In many ways, I'm attracted to, to high growth and really more uh, in the entrepreneurial side. But to be honest with you, like even at Oracle, which is a good example, large company, mm-hmm. but almost an incubated effort, effort to build the cloud business inside of Oracle. So in some ways, you can look at it, DC, almost like um, the probably the biggest venture capitalist in the world was Larry Ellison at the time. And he was really committed to developing cloud infrastructure for the company and Mm. applications that supported that kind of work. So uh, we were a bunch of renegade cloud guys and girls inside of the company. And Mm. so it felt very, uh, as much as you could, it felt pretty entrepreneurial inside of that organization. It was really around you know, groundbreaking efforts across the world. And similarly, I, I would say even in Cisco, uh, we were an acquired asset at WebEx. Yeah. And it was a lot about, you know, learning a bigger company and there's mechanics that, that give you a lot of strength and reach. And then certainly at the same time, it was about teaching and helping to educate what the cloud meant uh, at a very early stage. It was 2007. So as you can imagine, like it was early days of the cloud and Business applications, particularly in a company like Cisco, are pretty new. Mm-hmm. So there's a nice, uh, good balance of uh, of both. And, you, you know, I think at the end of the day, it's all about who you work with and mm-hmm. the kind of work that you do. So, so you can find the kinds of companies that have the same values. And uh, ah, that's that's to do. Good. I think I think it works out well. That's been my experience so far. I mean, I don't know if you I know you both have been involved with very big places yourself and some, you know, some small startups, too. And, yeah have you found the same same, same experience?
0: Uh, Larry, uh, I, I certainly have, how, how about you LT?
2: Yeah, I'd love, see this is one of the reasons why I love Abe, notice Abe went to the people and I yes. think it really matters Abe, you know, with one specific situation, with the people that you actually work most with. So yeah. you can be with big company X and you happen to be with at, at that point in time with a great group of folks, where yeah. 10 years later or 10 years before, you people could have been in the same place, but it was not a great group. And so, yeah. you know, I think one of the things that you've done incredibly well is you've, you've had people lead the way, literally and figuratively. And, and so I would agree with what you said. It's about who you're working with.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And I've been fortunate. I mean, there's been some really great people that have come into my life and you know, I haven't done. Uh, I guess I've been lucky not 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 to do things so so bad that uh, we've been able to to do more together. So that's been the best part of it, best right? Part of it.
0: Yeah. So my connection into what uh, what you're saying a uh, values. So finding a place to work because you're going to spend more time doing that than you're going to spend sleeping. Yeah. So may as well do it with folks that have a similar value uh similar values to uh, to your own but then uh LT Abe said another thing when he was describing his uh, his time at um at uh at Oracle he said there were there were we were a bunch of renegades mm-hmm. and we were finding a way to build the cloud inside of this big company and so what what I think is important about that brand nerds is Abe has some understanding of intrinsically what he's about And so because he knew he was a renegade, he knows he has to be in high growth situations. So you first need to know what's inside of you before you can determine where you ought to go. So that's my uh, takeaway from there. Next question and get comfy, Abe. Okay. Um, I'm going to tell a a very brief story to set up this next question. So as you know, Larry and I, as well as our business partner, Jeff, we've all spent time at the Coca-Cola company. So yes. I was there when the iconic Roberto Gosueta was the CEO and yes. Don Keogh was the chief operating officer. So these are icons of the business world, uh, even, even today, even today, rest in power oh. to, yep. to them both. So in 1984, before I got to Coca-Cola, as many of the brand nerds know, Coke released new Coke. So they got yeah. rid of the regular Coke and they did do Coke. So this is a, the arguably the largest marketing debacle in the history of marketing <laughs> all time, all time. And, and so uh, sometimes during these all hands meetings, they didn't call them that then, but you get everybody together in this auditorium at Coca-Cola, we would, we would have a conversation about that moment so that we could remember and not repeat our mistakes. And one of the questions that someone asked Don Keough, he's on stage, And this is the early 90s. He said, uh, because of the fact that when you return back to Coke Classic, the growth went off the charts, to your point, high growth company, did you all do that intentionally? Was that an intentional move? This is a reasonable question. So Larry knows where I'm going here. So Don Keogh, he looks, he kind of chuckles. He says, we're not that smart and we're not that dumb. Okay, this, this is the this, this is point. Okay, so uh, I go to you in timing. Uh, a Two companies I thought with the pandemic, I'm like, these are pandemic companies. Amazon and Zoom. Okay, so you can't make that up. You're not that smart. You're not that dumb. All right, so what was it like for you? You're coming in in January of 19, and it's less than 18 months later, Abe, and you're looking at the pandemic. What was that like for you?
3: I mean, the pandemic was uh, crazy. You know, so you, I, I'd say in the same way that you set up the discussion, DC, on, on Coca-Cola, there's probably a little bit of background. We knew we were building a great company. So let's, okay. you know, let's start there. I think when I joined, when I joined Zoom, Uh, in 2019, the company was growing at 100% year over year profitably. Wow. Wow. uh, When we issued the S1, it was pretty clear that this is a different kind of company that had financial discipline, Hmm. actually was disrupting a very mature industry. So video conferencing was wildly available, whether it was with Microsoft Skype or Cisco WebEx or LogMeIn products or whatever. I mean, there were a variety of choices, FaceTime, et cetera. So uh, Eric Yuan our CEO and founder was pretty bold to say hey I think something different is needed and that the macroeconomic trends in the market were suggesting that well before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So you know when we when the company IPOed in 2019 it was a very successful IPO it's pr- actually one of the most successful in, in
1: 2019.
3: Mm-hmm. And we you know we had high expectations. So you know going into 2020 which was a pandemic year uh, the company was just over 600 million dollars in revenue and we had guided the market at about 950 million dollars so roughly 55 54 percent year-over-year growth which is aggressive even in the cloud yep. mm-hmm. uh, you know suffice it to say that year we ended up going from 600 million to 2.7 billion in one year which was unprecedented. <laughs> but you know the
2: can you repeat that again Abe? Yeah, it was,
3: it was over 600 million to about 2.7 billion in a year. So, I mean, it was, it was actually the fastest growth for enterprise software company ever in the history of enterprise software. But inside the tornado, you know, it was interesting, and, and, and you all appreciate this because you, you've worked for such iconic companies. We actually felt when the pandemic started to, to show itself, and for me, actually, I saw tea leaf signs early because you got to remember, I managed the international business. So, you know, we were starting to see some of the rumblings in Asia early. Oh, and, yeah. And, you know, it's a bit of the wave that happens, if you will. Right. And actually, yeah. you, you might recall one of the first markets that really got impacted was Italy, too. So it, it, it yes. transposed over into Europe pretty quickly. And in the US, it was a question of like, was well, this really going to turn out to be something that's, you know, global or what is this? Right. Uh, but when it, when it hit and it hit hard and fast, The company really felt in a very mission driven position. So, you know, one of the things that was so amazing about the period, and there, you know, it's been a roller coaster ride. So you can talk about moments of just the highest, you know, the highest highs and the lowest lows, Mm -hmm. and a lot of like fatigue and stamina in different ways that we had never experienced before. But most people on the team just said, Hey, look, you know, the world is calling. And what's so great about a leader like Eric Yuan is he was very purposeful in how we thought. And the thought was, you know, it's our obligation. You know, the world is calling. It's our obligation to see what we can do. And that meant, you know, things like educational continuity. I mean, there were hundreds of millions of of kids that, frankly, you know, couldn't go to a physical school. So overnight, we had to, you know, we had to move, you know, millions and millions and millions of of students from the, you know, the classroom to the kitchen table or, you know, same thing at a business level. You know, we would get a call on a, on a Friday, you know, we have 150,000 employees, we're going to move them all to remote access, go.
1: Mm-hmm. You
3: know, it, the stories were just endless. And I think the guiding principle was number one, a very mission driven approach from the company. Mm-hmm. Everybody rallied around the moment. And there was a mm-hmm. lot of uh, how we operated was somewhat in a triage fashion. So like every day there were standups. When we faced a problem, we dealt with it as a group together immediately And Mm. what was beautiful about the moment was it was just an absolute interconnection of people that's new to do the right thing. And Mm. what what was highly relevant in the moment, like I'll give you an example. And again, this is where leadership plays into the the discussion. I was meeting with my international leaders and it was about 11 o'clock at night in California, which is where I'm based. And, you know, my team is spread out throughout the world. So it's never a good time for anybody and we were getting on the call to really discuss about the business and how we're going to continue to go forward. And I was talking with Eric, our CEO, prior to, and I said, "Hey, Eric, do you mind coming into the meeting and just, you know, sending a couple of words so the team understands what you're thinking at the moment?" And you got to understand what was interesting during the pandemic. Again, the highs and the lows were Zoom became first the savior and somewhat a little bit vilified because right. you know, yeah. Eric Eric himself faced incredible xenophobia at times. There was tremendous pressure around you know, uh, uh, China and other activities outside of the United States, so on and so forth. And Eric came into the meeting that night and he said something I'll never forget. And it's become really iconic in just how I think and and frankly, how the company thinks. He walked into the meeting and said, look, you know, I'm gonna ask you guys one question because I asked myself this. I looked in the mirror and I asked myself, I asked my 20-year-old self, when I look back 20 years from now, did I do the right thing? Simple, did I do the right thing? Did I help schools when they needed, it and I didn't ask how we did it. So when 25 countries asked for the service for free, or we provided the service for free for their schools in 25 different countries, millions and millions of students, you know, we, we rose to the call, you know, when, Mm -hmm. when the question was asked, like, how do we deliver medicine and health? Eric never stopped and said, we can't figure it out. His answer was, we will figure it out. So You know, Mm. that question around, ask yourself, how do you act? How do you respond? And can you ask yourself one simple question? Did you do the right thing? Which is so, again, back to our values point, which is based on the right right philosophy. So, you know, we went from, in a very quick period in January 2020, 10 million daily meeting participants on the platform, which is a very, very highly trafficked platform. In fact, at the time, one of the highest, if not the highest in web and video conferencing to... Four months later over 300 million daily meeting participants concurrent on the platform to give you oh. an idea it's like social network levels like Facebook and otherwise so it's a it was a tremendous <laughs> it was a tremendous validation on the strength of the technology which was and theoretically speaking we had said hey you know we think we have unlimited capacity but if we never tested it right so it was tested overnight almost like in a petri dish. So an incredible feat of of technical prowess, which included some of our partners like Amazon, you mentioned with AWS, which provided us public cloud elasticity, Oracle, OCI, which became a very critical partner on the cloud, again, cloud elasticity. Mm -hmm. And then just all the employees from uh, salespeople to customer success, to technical support, to marketing folks, et cetera. And I think, you know, when you get back to the brand side, it really endeared people to the brand. I mean, uh, it was interesting about zoom before the pandemic, you know, I would walk into an airport lounge with a zoom shirt on and, you know, this was well before the pandemic, people would be like, wow, I love that product. You guys are great. Thank you. I mean, never had I had somebody thank me for, for, you know, the use of our software. Wow, This is something different. And then I think during the pandemic, there was a lot of like gratitude from our customers where one number one, they started to create a connection in the brand with the brand in a different way. It became how they connected.
2: Yeah, you know
3: where we focus now on our brand messaging is around human connection, and you know our our feeling is we can really connect humans in ways that they never thought possible. And some in some ways, the silver lining of the pandemic was it taught us what was possible. It taught yeah. us that we could learn remotely. Mm-hmm. It taught us that we could connect with parents and friends on a Friday night virtually. It taught us that You know, I could receive medical care from a practitioner without ever physically going into his or her office. So there are a lot of silver linings. And I mean, that's a long answer, and it was a very intense period, and the roller coaster ride continues. You know, but um, for that moment, uh, we felt uh, you know we felt really good about the work that we were doing, and at the end of the day, we did the best we could to serve the world.
2: Mm. Abe, that that's why podcasts are what they are. We want, want that long answer. Was amazing. That took us. I felt like you took us under the hood of what you guys were experiencing at that time. And of course, you and I have had these conversations. But I'm really glad you shared it with the brand nerds because um, it's really a, a special point in time that that I'm sure you knew at the time it was. And it feels like Eric and all of you all really understood the gravity of the situation. And man, did you step up? And you deserve you deserve your kudos. You know, to this day, again, as you talk about touching human beings my 85 year old mother who is has dementia but to her her two best friends who she grew up with are fine and they have they call their happy hour zooms three nights a week they've been doing that since the pandemic right. like 85 year old ladies you know and and zoom zoom did that because it's it's easy enough for the 85 year old ladies to do
3: that's right that's right. And, you know, that was part of the thesis, Larry, of the company was, you know, it, 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 one of the themes that we had seen was a consumerization of IT, you know, products needed to become more easy, easier to use. And I'm not talking about like your social media application, which you use every day or, you know, something on your iPhone or otherwise or in your Android, Android yeah. device. We're talking about like business software, which is really what the company was built for. One Again, one of the things that we just didn't expect in the pandemic is, it was never, de- the company was never designed to de- to really serve consumer use. So we focused on selling the businesses and providing the product oh, yeah. to higher education, you know, hospitals and financial institutions, et cetera. We didn't expect like, you know, Girl Scout meetings and, you know, yeah. and, and your 85 year old mother to be on it. You know, we're glad that they could, you know, because I, it, it, it provided something that they needed. And that's where again the company was very benevolent eric was very benevolent we carry the cost of that too so there was a heavy cost of right. delivering service which were largely free accounts you know that's a big part of what
2: grew during the pandemic right right but you know what that goes to our view of marketing when you have the your brand lover that's our parlance was dedicated toward business users who 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 just embraced it totally and because you did such a great job with them that was actually enabled you to spill out everywhere because you were focused on that. It's interesting that that was never your target. D, don't you think that? I mean, that's it's classic brand lover, and this is what happens. This, these are how great brands are built.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, but, I mean, right. and, 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 but what we're seeing, and it, it would, it, you know, I'd love to get you and the brand nerds' perspective on it. It's interesting because your as your identity evolves, and you probably saw this with Coke and other places you've been. What people knew you for then, how do they start to know you for what you're becoming and who you evolve to? And that's maybe that's a brand challenge, I'd say. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. I don't know if you've experienced that. Maybe not for this podcast, but we would always we would love advice or feedback on on how you think about that and just you know how your audience does too. Ah, hey. Rarely does someone.
0: Succinctly, clearly explain what could be a complicated thing. And you, you've done that here. Yep. Abe, and I want to point something out to the brand nerds. The question your CEO, Eric, said he's one question when I look at myself in the mirror and I ask myself this question is, it, is what I'm doing now? Like, did I do the right thing? When I look back 20 years from now, yeah. did I do the right thing? Yeah. So he's imploring his team to ask themselves that question and then behave accordingly. That's now, right. brand nerds, Eric did not say, did we do the right thing by the balance sheet? He did not say, did we do the right thing by the P&L? He did not say, did we do the right thing given that we are less than a year from IPO and this whole thing could go pear-shaped. He did not not say that. He simply said, did I do the right thing? And he gave it a time horizon. Not look back, he's having this meeting on Tuesday and on Wednesday, he's saying, did you look back 24 hours and say that? He said 20 years, 20 years, brand nerds. Phenomenal. Uh, This is a, this is a, brand Nerves, you're getting a leadership moment right here yes. This is the leadership moment right here wow Abe okay so now I'm gonna ask you this and then we're gonna go to the next section yeah uh is that so you're talking to Eric before he's coming into the call he's saying, hey you can just come in and so he contemplates that he then comes on yeah and he he drops this drops one them. question thing he, he just boom okay what are you thinking when he drops that because you just talked to him he comes in with that. What's yeah. going? It was like it's bodies? eleven
3: o'clock at night. I can't even think straight. But uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's one. It's it's actually one of these moments. And what's what's been really a privilege to work at, at Zoom, amongst so many privileges, is that there's so much sage advice that is. Ah. Almost, it's almost like philosophical tenets. That ah. one, that one left me and anybody, everybody on that call, which there was probably a dozen or or 18 people on the call, honestly, just silent. Right. It's, one of, those, it's yeah. one of those those moments where you have to like digest that. Right. And and really appreciate it and really appreciate the words, which are pretty powerful because you're right. It it, it wasn't asking like how are you doing on your quarterly number or how you, you know, no. what, what's the revenue like? It's are you are you doing the right things to guide the business in a way that is correct? And that is, there's so many layers to that DC, uh, but it was, you know, at the moment it was, it was, it was just a very humbling moment because it, it creates like a pensive feeling where yeah, you're like, absolutely wow. And then it actually creates a, 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 an area to say, you know what, we aren't doing the right thing and we got to do more of it. Get back right. out, like get back out and do more. We wow. are, we're, we're doing something that actually is beyond ourselves. And we, you know, one day we'll tell our grandkids the stories if they're willing to listen yeah, <laughs> and, and uh, I think it, it you know it's it's a humbling experience for everybody on the call.
0: Well, I'll say this before I, I flip it over to uh, lt. Um, brand nerds, if you have ever been in a company that's private and then was acquired um and then a company that went from private to public, then you understand what it's like to have a board of directors of a private company that might be slightly different than a board of directors of a public company. So once you get to a board of directors of a public company, brand nerds, by and large, that board will dictate what the company does. Now, of course, the CEO is typically the um, chairperson of the board, certainly no less than a vice chair in most cases. So they have something to say about that. And of course, the founder, in this case, uh, uh, Eric is both the founder and the CEO, they have something to say about the construction of the board, but to answer to the board brand nerds, this is, this is what happens. So for Eric to come in and say, the one question is, did I do the right thing? It also meant that the board yeah. had to back that. The board had to back, yes, Eric, we're with you. So not only is Eric talking to 12, 18 folks on the, on the, uh, on the executive leadership team, he's also signaling to the board and dare I say, even to global economies, he's signaling you can run a company this way. I am I am godsmacked. I'm awestruck by this. OK, yeah. haven't said all of that.
3: Yeah, Larry. yeah. And, and, and you got to understand okay. the man you too, see, too, I'll say is that, yeah. you know, he the core of the business, the philosophy and the foundation of the business was to yeah. deliver happiness. And oh, the wow. entire ethos of the company is built around care. So, wow. you know, if you, sound, if you start with that as a baseline, of foundation, yes. it's, it operates very foundationally, fundamentally different, differently than probably most companies, some of the brand nerds or myself have been, been a part of.
2: That's deep.
0: We, Larry, we could end the podcast now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> we, we can end it now, but we're not going to end it now,
3: A. I think you guys going? should be interviewing Eric, not me, for God's sake. He's the real... <laughs> I'm just a All disciple. Right. Like I bring the, I, bring, <laughs> I, bring, I, bring, I bought into the religion times 10, and, and I believe in the religion. That's so oh. Abe to say this, though, D. It is. You know. It is.
0: All right, LT, uh, you ready to take it to our, our sponsor,
2: read, our wonderful sponsor? I am happy to take it. We're going to do our specificity read. Hey, brand nerds, back here to talk to you about specificity. And, brand nerds, we know many of you are immersed in digital marketing or just simply involved in it. Either way, if you want to optimize your digital marketing to maximize results, we have the solution for you. In 2021, an interesting thing happened that forever changed the landscape of digital marketing. Apple's iOS update was structured to provide users the opportunity to opt out of ads, and more than 90% of users opted out. Android quickly followed suit with similar opt-out numbers. This situation created complete upheaval for the entire digital marketing infrastructure with engagement rates falling precipitously. Now you know why you may be a 22-year-old female playing your favorite game app on your phone and all of a sudden you're being hit with an in-app ad for Rogaine. That's serious money down the drain. Here's where specificity comes in to save the day. Specificity does not track or know users' personal data such as name, social security number, et cetera specificity uses device ID numbers similar to a VIN number on a car, so they track what users are doing without knowing their personally identifiable information, working in harmony with the post-privacy update. Now with specificity, both the consumer and the advertiser are happy, since consumers see digital ads that are relevant for them, and advertisers serve ads to people that are receptive to the message. Let's give a real life example. If Jeff's old brand Lunchables wanted to use specificity, they can serve ads to only parents, not just to any parent. They can dial into serving ads to only working parents of, let's say, children six to 12. Additionally, if they wanted to, they could also not serve ads to any parents who are vegetarians or other similar dietary restrictions who would not be prone to buy Lunchables. The bottom line is this would enable Lunchables to be incredibly efficient in serving their message only to those. Who would be most receptive and doing it in a way that completely respects said consumers' privacy since they do not know or learn any personal information about these people? The bottom line is in 2023, we believe no one else out there can deliver better digital marketing results than specificity. We have introduced specificity to many clients, and everyone is super happy since each client has been more successful with their digital marketing efforts than they were before. For more information on specificity, please visit their website at SpecificityInc.com. Again, SpecificityInc.com. That's S-P-E-C-I-F-I-C-I-T-Y-I-N-C.com. Their website is also on our show notes. If you want to improve your digital marketing results, go check them out. All right,
0: brand nerds. And Abe, we're about to take the five questions. So here's how this goes down, Abe. I ask a question, Larry asks a question. We go back and forth till we arrive at five. Baseball season, full effect, I'm in the batter's box. What was the first experience you had, first branding experience where, Abe, it just captivated you? It, it, it was like strings upon your heart. You're like, ooh, I really love this brand. I What did I do before engaging with this brand? What was that brand for you, Abe?
3: I'm going to answer it. I'm going to take liberty and answer it in a couple of ways. First of all, I'll say the love of brand, the love of brand marketing and just how, uh, you know, my thinking around marketing, public relations, communication started. I'll pay homage to my mother because, Mm. you know, just on a, on a personal level, you know, you look and and you reflect on people that really taught you the art. Uh, She Mm -hmm. was by far one of the best branding specialists, communicators, public relations. conceptual person. So, a lot learned on her, you know, on on the knee of of my mom. But I would say there was a catalyst moment, and I was thinking about this of a brand experience that really resonated. I mean, it was a bit of a parable and a story. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take Larry back a little bit to DC. I don't know if you are you from the East Coast originally, or where were you from? Midwest, Detroit. Okay, all right, all right. And Larry, I know you are from the East Coast in New York, so I'll yep. take you back. I'm going to take you back to the east coast about 30 30 35 years ago and there was a catalyst moment i larry mentioned i i lived overseas in japan and i come back to the boston area and i was getting you know ingratiated back into the business world uh, into the business world and just community at large and i got invited to a rotary club meeting
2: oh yeah in
3: in small town you know boston suburb and the guest speaker at the time was this guy by the name of Ken Myers, who had started a company called Smart Food, which sure. if, if you ever had it, it's a uh, cheese popcorn, which is really delicious. Yep. And this is kind of interesting in that there was a bit of a Boston popcorn war going on with a company called Boston popcorn and Smart Food had gone and done their thing. And Ken was a featured speaker and his expertise and specialty wasn't about food necessarily, it was about brand and marketing. And what I was just hypnotized with was he told the story, he said, look, I built the company in such a counterculture way. First of all, you know, everybody said you would never put your product in a black bag for your popcorn. They were usually transparent where you could see the food, but this was a yeah. colored bag, if you recall. I, and it, I you know, do. that was mistake number one. Mistake yeah. number two, like, you know, back in our day and... Maybe I'll date ourselves. You're much younger than I am, both of you guys. But if you recall, like most cheese popcorn it was kind of that orange, that awful orange level oh, where, oh, if yeah. You, if you ate it, like absolutely. everybody knew, right? Everybody mm-hmm. knew yeah, so they were counterculture. they were white cheddar cheese, and it yep. was this beautifully designed popcorn. So the product quality was excellent. It was unique and counterculture in how they position the the product packaging and otherwise but what was so interesting about his discussion was he said look how do we get people to know about this product and compete against major players in the salty snack division Mm -hmm. at the time we were the underdogs and no one knew who we were and we didn't have Mm -hmm. huge marketing budgets so his discussion was around experiential marketing and he said look in the you know on the slopes of new hampshire we would have somebody put on a smart food black you know.'" bag uh, outfit and ski down the slope so every skier would see this happening at the end of the slope to the bottom of the slopes they would hand out samples we would have a team handing out samples oh. so he would place the product in the hands and say hey look you just saw something that was so different that caught your attention you couldn't miss it and then i'm going to prove to you when you get to the bottom of the mountain i'm going to hand you a snack packet you're going to try the product and say this is the most delicious product i've ever had in my life and I'm going to go on buy it. Now he believed in sort of this guerrilla marketing at the time, which was very novel and 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 it was very avant garde then. Yeah. It was quite avant garde then, yeah. And yeah. I listened to this and I was like, you know what? That makes so much sense. Fast forward in the discussion, the company got bought by Frito Lay. Yeah, and, you know, Frito Lay then ultimately bought the product, and he he said, hey, look, you know, they put the product traditionally on the shelves, and they followed the same formula of how they they marketed it. And Ken Myers said, hey, look let me let me just continue to do marketing the way I do. And let's Mm -hmm. compare side by side and see what happened. And the results were were far in the favor of guerrilla marketing in this experiential marketing, which was so powerful. What he said is create an experience that is unforgettable, and then Mm -hmm. tie it with, you know, a proof point where it says, I'm going to show you. And then endear people to that experience where they remember the the absolute majesty and creativity, of the experience, and then the, you know, the joy of the taste itself, it was genius. And I, I sat and listened to that and said, you know what? That's absolutely gorgeous. And it, it changed the way I thought about marketing in general of traditional buying, you know, above the line media and so forth. And thinking about, wow, it, it is about connection. It's around how you motivate and get people to connect with the brand itself. And that at its simplest regional level was like my moment of brand epiphany. uh, That's that kind of liner note in some fashion has has really impacted my mother's teaching. And then this one lecture from Ken Meyer about smart food resonated with me to start to guide the way I thought about marketing in my career and building brands uh, like Zoom and technology and, and food products and otherwise. That's deep. Yeah. I was young. at the time I thought it was old. I was 21 years old. And it was or 22 years old. I'm like, this is moving for me. Right. So, but it's a formative, right? And 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 you you all were part of that era too, where wow, that kind of like unique elements of marketing, and you you both are legends in, in your in this category. So you. you've done Thank so you. so many, you know, brilliant and imaginative things. You know how it works, right? So there's something special with that.
2: Well, I love the fact that you experienced that at that young of an age, and that has stuck with you. And yeah. cl- clearly, you, that story has imbued your work. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Yeah, I'm,
1: uh,
0: there's a through line I'm picking up already at the center of the brand of Zoom is deliver happiness and care. Eric cares about people. Abe yeah. cares about people. So that came through in their actions. Ken cared. That's why he was doing the marketing. He was doing he he putting it in a formulaic way that Frito Lay typically does it does not require care. It requires care to do it the way he did it. And by the way, after Frito Lay acquired Smart Food, Ken had enough money where he could go chilling. He didn't have to do anything, but he right. can't, because he cared. He said, "Let me show you the difference between the two." Care. Like oh, that.
2: 100%. Yeah, like
0: that. 100%. LT, any, any more from you, brother, before we go no, to the next I, question?
2: I think we go to the next question, D, don't you think? Yeah, let's do it. So, Abe, uh, in your lengthy career, uh, who has had or is having the most influence on your career? I'll um I'm gonna
3: answer that in a three part way if I could because mm-hmm. you've hit on on the you know the story of Abe's life here which was a soliloquy that you put together on the front end which again I'm extremely grateful for your that your kind words
2: and you I'll touch it, on, buddy
3: I'll no look I'll touch on the, the the same things you know number one I'll go back to point number one from the previous question
2: uh, my mother had a huge can you impression. please say your mom's name may she rest in peace but we have to give her flowers um, yeah thank you Marcia Smith Marsha okay. Smith. So uh, she,
3: number one, was very, very influential, had a lot of great business philosophies in general. She, she was a bit of a renegade herself. She was an entrepreneur. So, you know, when you learn from somebody that is mm-hmm. so hyper creative, and you're yeah. around that, and frankly, has very good business acumen, which was complimented by my father who helped her on, on, on some of the business mechanics. It was just, you know, it was a household that you don't realize necessarily as a child, like you learn a lot from your parents in general, but just like on a on a pure business level, reflectively, huge amount of huge amount of influence from her. Uh, so that's number one, just on, on a personal level and just life and business, I would say. You know, when it relates to international business and she helped catalyst this, she actually found a, a magazine cover back in the day, there was a company, there was a magazine called International Business and the cover story was of uh, two guys, one guy holding you know, a chopstick with a bagel, and it talked about how they had brought bagels to Japan. <laughs> and I thought it was just the most interesting story. And uh, as it turned out, I ended up uh, writing a letter and connecting with a gentleman, this gentleman who was on the cover of the magazine, who ended up becoming a mentor and a colleague. And fast forward, I ended up working for him. So when you mentioned the quick serve restaurants and the food service products that we de- de- uh, developed yeah. and, then, and then sold around the world... He was a big influence. So Jerry Shapiro, What's his name? Uh, Jerry Shapiro who unfortunately also has passed, uh, was, you know, the SBA exporter of the year. He was uh, awarded on a Rose Garden ceremony by President Bill Clinton. And it, oh, wow. it was really it was really pretty amazing. Like he, you know, he did some incredible stuff and uh, just a lot of life lessons again. And just uh, very, very skillful as it pertains to selling and, and the sales side of business. And then when I moved to Silicon Valley, you know, part three on the on the influences, tech is a very interesting world. And again, I've been very, very fortunate to come across some amazing leaders like Subra Year, who is the CEO and co-founder of WebEx. You mentioned earlier, Larry, Mm -hmm. absolutely brilliant. I mean, to see the trends, he saw the trends in technology before they ever happened. And he knew about, he knew the mechanics of cloud computing before people were calling it cloud computing. Wow. wow. And then I was, uh, I was tutored, if you will, and and mentored by Dave Berman, who was one of our sales leaders at, he was a president of of Webex and then ultimately a part of Cisco. Uh, When we were acquired by Cisco to actually work in the shadows and actually spend a little bit of time with John Chambers was incredible. I mean, he really was a consummate diplomat and statesman as it pertains to how he proselytized the brand around the world and how he's very, very clear on what the message was. You know, the network is, the platform is a network and the value of Cisco and what they brought to the world. And then people like uh, Mark Hurd at Oracle, we're pretty fortunate in the business that we ran. We had some time with Mark Hurd uh, quite a bit actually. And, you know, Mark who has also unfortunately since passed away as the co-CEO of Oracle Uh, Was a, you know, a brilliant leader in his ability to understand the command in numbers and just how actually the simplicity and mechanics of a business that complex and large, uh, he really articulated it. And and then I think in this discussion, we've talked a lot about Eric already, uh, but he is, uh, he's one of a kind. I mean, he's a savant.
2: Sounds like it. How do you pronounce his last name? Yeah,
3: you want. Okay. Yeah. So... And Eric is, um, you know, has been a real inspiration in a variety of ways and how he's built the company from nothing to, you know, four and a half billion dollars in about 12 years. And just, uh, you know, the intelligence he's brought to the business, his skills as it relates to engineering and design are second to none. So it's, uh, you know, it's been a privilege. Like uh, lots of people along the way have been very influential, some in tech, you know, some in international development and just some in life.
1: Mm.
2: Great stuff. That's great, D. You want to add something? You want to go to the next question?
0: I'm going to quickly say this and go to the next question. It isn't just the fact that, uh, Abe, you've listed multiple folks. What that is an indication of, to me, is that you've been paying attention. Yes. (laughs) That's that's what that means to me. Uh, I'll go to the next question. Platitudes have been offered, volumetrically so. And deservedly so. But this next question, Abe, has nothing to do with those wonderful wins. Only your biggest F up, Abe. Your biggest stinky, <laughs> massive, visible F up. <laughs> Might I even say hot, hot, right. And what and what you learn from it, Abe, and what you learn from it.
3: Right. Well, the uh D, the the list is long as it's distinguished. And it could be the salsa <laughs> I drip on my on my shirt and my face when I'm eating a burrito with Larry Taman. So it could be called out as that, as um, we both I'm, do that. I'm, I'm, and now that you told me the new Coke story, the real new Coke story, <laughs> I I don't know that I have one of that magnitude by any means. <laughs> like, there's some brilliant NFL behind that. So I'm I'm a little bit, you know, uh, you know, uh balanced on that, that that story that you told, but um Uh, You know, I don't. I was. uh, I guess when I think about f ups, there are a lot. Like, you know, let's be clear. There's times where you you kick yourself and say I made a lot of wrong decisions. And frankly, uh, many of them are timing. Stayed too long. Stayed too short. You know, I honestly wasn't patient. Was too patient. I think that has been a theme in my life. Sometimes you're a little bit too optimistic, and the f up was, hey, I probably should have been a little bit more real with myself.
1: Mm -hmm. And then
3: I'd say, you know. I've been, I've been reflecting on this a lot. I think, you know, people uh, maybe our age, I'm going to say again, for both of you in your thirties, for myself, that's a little bit (laughs) not quite. Yeah. You think about, you think about some of the things that are what's important and you know, there's, there's a philosophy to how you, you lead yourself as a person, probably maybe some of the, the F up I made is not taking enough time for myself, you know, and Mm. You know, mm. the, 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 the challenge is with care comes responsibility, sometimes sacrifice, and that sacrifice could be with work, and, you know, that sacrifice often can be with health, it could be with family, it could be with plan, yeah. it could be with joy, Yeah, and I don't really subscribe to a discussion around work-life balance because in many ways, uh, personally, like, the worlds have blended but they have been too uh, discreet in one or the other, work or life. Right. Yeah. I think what I've really been trying to work on lately more myself is like, these two worlds are always going to coincide, but if they can somehow intersect, Ah. uh, others can participate. Like, you know, my son is older now, my daughter's older now. Uh, They've been able to participate in some of the things that I'm doing in business that, you know, it's so much more joyful to do it with them. And you know, there's times where we've been able to really celebrate with the fruits of our labor and and be able to you know capitalize on that. And that's like you know an f up where I would have deferred that happiness or joy. I would have had something else to do. We're yeah. being more, much more thoughtful now to say, you know what, life's short. You never know. So we're trying. We're trying to be a little bit more intelligent about you know taking the time. I am personally so, and that's hard because I think when you also get into this kind of cadence of building and growing and grinding and driving and et cetera. It's, it's, it's really a bit of an, adi- an addiction and it and it can become an unhealthy addiction. Nice. So the, you know, the time is when to know when you also have to put in an overdrive and there are those times and you have to be real clear. And then there's other times to say, I don't, you know, today's not that day. Yep. And again, you know, one of the things I've learned at zoom over the last couple of years too Eric's real about this too, is, you know, there, there's moments where you're like, today's not the day I'm going to stop right now. And right. that's, that would be something I would never do. And, and you have all worked in athletic products and otherwise there's a lot of effort in, in the branding world to talk about working through the pain. Yeah. And sometimes like today's not the day to work through the pain. That's right. And I think there's moments to really understand that. And it's super hard because it, it, it count, it clashes with who you are. And like the athlete, you want to get back on the field and you're like, you know what, this could really be hurting me for the long term. but I got to get back out there and I'm running and I don't, I don't even know why anymore. So I think when that happens, it's like, you really got to somehow regroup yourself. And, you know, the the F up I've made in the past to answer your question was I haven't taken stock in that. I'm trying to now personally, that's at a very personal level.
2: As your friend, I'm so glad you're saying this because I've seen you be brand nerds in dc Mm -hmm. abe is so hardworking and so conscientious and that could take like he said it becomes an addiction and i've seen you be that way right and um and so for you to even take stock of that um as your friend i'm really happy to hear you say that and i think that there's huge wisdom and learning for others to hear that quite honestly earlier in their career to set boundaries to your point abe it's you know Life is about gray, it's not black and white, and you, so you're going to be working at odd hours and crazy. But there's times where you just got to block that damn calendar off and go take your son to Monte Carlo, like you did, yeah. right? Mm.
3: That's right, that's, 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 that's
0: strong. Um, yeah, yeah. When uh, Abe and uh, LT and brand nerds, we understand when we go out to have a meal, um. It's going to cost us something. Um, so we get that. We buy a car, it's going to cost us something. We get a house, apartment, it's going to cost us something. What I don't think we humans are as good at is understanding the cost of grinding because mm-hmm. it, it does cost something. You may not recognize it in the moment, so to your point, but it yeah. does cost something. Yeah. yeah there's, there's a cost.
3: Yeah, so true.
2: All right, LT, should we hit the next one? Yeah, let's, so Abe, uh, love this question for you. You know, you've basically lived most of your uh, your professional life in technology. So regarding technology and the confluence of marketing, and you've lived that too. Um, can you tell us where you think marketers should lean in or best leverage tech or areas that you think they should be leery or simply avoid?
3: That's uh, a great question. You know, the, I think you know technology is so liberating in how it actually affords personalized connections if used correctly so you know we're we're at a point in tech whether it's on a communication device like Zoom or it's on you know martech which I was very involved in for many years you know you can get extremely personalized and the messaging can be extremely pronounced so I think I think used correctly that's very powerful because it provides people with the right kind of messaging at the right time for something that they favor, which is valuable. Uh, I'd say, you know, where people have to be careful as a marketer around, you know, use of, of um a market of, of technology is when it does feel a little bit invasive and when you're overstepping the boundaries. So, you know, the the amount of information that we're enjoying, and now with the advent of AI and what AI is going to do for the profession. Any profession: marketing, sales, customer success, yep. financial services, health and wellness, etc. It's groundbreaking, and I think that's a leverageable tool. And I think tech in general is. And I've seen that. I've seen the growth of the cloud really provide so much more power. And I think what's going to happen now in the AI world, uh, you know, we're in a fourth revolution. So if you know the internet was a primary revolution, and the PC was a revolution, and the mobile device was a revolution you know, AI is extremely uh, beneficial, but, you know, incorrectly used, it can start to get a, a little bit dangerous, right? So the balance for a marketer is still to use these tools. And I'd say communication tools, MarTech, et cetera, AI, and so forth in ways that provides value and edification for the recipient. They have to know their boundaries and it should still go back to the discussion that we had about a half hour ago, where you're really caring, like, so if you can use tech to show that you're caring, and you're not actually using it in a way that's just, you know, personal, or it's, uh, it's, it's for your own well being, or the company's well being, that becomes pretty obvious. So that's a difficult dilemma for a marketer, because, you know, they're, they're chartered now, and especially with with technology in general, and the analytics associated with it, everything's very quantifiable. So, I actually believe very highly in the art and science of marketing. And I do think uh, that there is an art and science. So, you know, again, the art side, the artistic side is around, you know, making, helping people connect with a brand, that beauty of an emotional responsiveness, et cetera. But I do think, you know, with the measurement side, uh, there is a big push on the CMO in general to be very, very clear on what they're delivering. Right. So, And then showing a very distinct roi which i do think is healthy i think these are both healthy balances but it does create a a bit of a a dichotomy and a somewhat of a dilemma for the marketer overall i would say
2: that answer yeah do you have anything to add you want to go to the next question next question
0: abe what are you most proud of
3: so that's easy for me like you know again and, and, and thanks for the, you know, the, the five and, you know, to end it on one where again, we bring it back to, I'll, I'll take advantage of the personal element, all the stuff in marketing that we do will be remembered and it'll be great. All the stuff that, you know, we achieve in sales and the numbers that we create, the millions of dollars that we've established for the economy and so forth is, is, is really important. I'm most proud of like my family in general. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when I look at, you know, Larry, you know, you got a son the same age. So I've got a son who's going about to turn 20 in August And it's really, really wonderful. And I'm so proud of like his skill, what he's learning, how he's making his own choices, how he articulates himself, his empathy, his care. You know, I look at my daughter. She just turned 18 and graduated high school. Her ability to have just such incredible determination and grit, perseverance. It's inspiring for me. I mean, she, you know, suffered some, some learning challenges, You'll be happy to know, Larry. I don't think I've caught up with you, but she's going to be going to NYU, which oh, is awesome.
2: I, her I spoke and, when you were looking. Remember, you were right, you right?
3: Were, now, now right. it's realized. So she'll be going to the Big Apple, and that's right. Her absolute perseverance. I'm so proud of her. And you know, I'm also Esty,
2: Josh and yeah. Esty, by the way, are Abe's kids' names.
3: Yeah, Josh and Esty. So, and with my wife Shelly, you know, I'm I'm really proud of the relationship that we've been able to build, that it's evolved. Like, you know, as we yep. grow old together, there's new chapters that we're gonna have to navigate together. And I'm um, I'm grateful and appreciative for her, you know, support and just just willingness to also take a journey that's gonna be continue to be crazy. She's living in crazy town, you know, with hanging out with Abe Smith and and, uh, you know, a lot of gratitude for great parents and and family members, too. At the end of the day, I'm proud to have that on my side.
0: Nice. Nice. That's it, man. Love it. That's the story.
2: Should we go to the next section? Let's do it, LT. All right. ADC, what
0: is popping? Hey. What's what's popping, Abe? Hey. <laughs> tell me
3: let's go that's right this is our chance to shout out shout back down. to hot again let's go back to hot
2: that's right back to, uh,
3: hot. Back to hot dc let's see back
2: how pops. right and, and,
3: and,
0: and larry and by the way just just to put a button on this this is why abe subliminally used smart food popcorn because how does how does corn pop It's the heat, baby. It's all heat. It's all
3: intentional. This all comes around. This is we're marketing
0: here. As as
2: Don, as Don Keo said, he's not that smart and he's not that dumb. No, (laughs) exactly. Exactly. All right. So I have a, I have a really interesting what's popping with Abe in the house. I just read this this morning. And I thought this, was, this would be really cool. So um, I'm going to read you a couple of things, and I want to get both of your reactions to it, OK? So on Wednesday, the Canadian government announced that it will cease all ad spending, which for them is about $7.5 million per year, on, per year on Facebook and Instagram. The decision comes after Meta and Google blocked Canadian news in opposition to a Canadian law requiring technology platforms to compensate publishers for linking to their content. And so, mm-hmm. the Canada's uh, Minister uh, Heritage Minister Pablo Rodriguez said, "quote We have decided to take the necessary step of suspending all government of Canada advertising to Facebook. We cannot continue paying ad dollars to Meta while they refuse to pay their fair share to Canadian news organizations. The Online News Act, or Bill C-18, was passed into law last month. The government is currently in the process of finalizing the bill, which would require, require tech platforms." to share a portion of ad revenue before the law goes into effect at the end of the year. According to the bill, Google and Meta currently earn 80% of all digital advertising revenue in Canada, And, and as Rodriguez noted, ad dollars that used to be spent on Canadian news outlets who report on local and regional news. Despite these tech giants' decision to stop news access on their platforms, the Canadian government still remains confident that it will continue to negotiate. Uh, Rodriguez added, we believe we have a path forward and we're willing to continue with the platforms. Um, However, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau said, and again, this is all within the last 24 hours, quote, this is not just a dispute over advertising, it's a dispute over democracy. This goes to the core of of a free and informed society that is able to take responsible decisions in in a democracy. Meta has not yet commented on the news, Though it has previously mentioned that news in Canada holds little to no economic value for the company, believing that news organizations benefit from the publicity they receive on Facebook and Instagram. Basically, Zuckerberg and his cronies are saying, You're a suburb of Buffalo. That's really what they're kind of saying, which, <laughs> right? So, so, and also, two major Canadian media firms, Quebecor and Kojiko Communications, have also announced that they and their subsidiaries are suspending advertising on meta platforms. What say you all about this, Abe? I was to say, DC, you take first stab. Come on. All right. Okay. Um, Often.
0: This is uh, okay. A clarifying question, Larry. Yeah. Is the issue that Meta is sharing zero percent of the revenue with the publishers, or is zero. it that they? Oh, okay. I was going to ask, or if
2: it's like some, they're looking for a larger share. Yeah, but what they're basically saying, which, what I have to interpret is Canada yeah. saying, hey, you know, we, they're using, you know, all of our, our news or outlets, and we're not getting paid for it. And by the way, they, that's how they're supported. So what they're really saying is if they don't share the revenue, how are these, how are these new news organizations and publishers going to survive?
0: Well, they're not. Okay, right. so they, they, they won't survive in my view. All right, so I've got two issues here. One is, what this suggests is that since Meta Meta, is much larger than any of the individual publishers in Canada, or any other country, for that matter, that even if the Canadian one one publication wants to sue Meta, they're never going to get to a place where they can afford that legal battle. Right. so this is a size thing. So the first thing on my mind is, is there some way for the Canadian publishers and publishers smaller, call them micro publishers, around the world to form what is ostensibly the, the, uh, a, a digital union, if you will? Right. Is, that, is that one way to combat this? But then the second, the second one is this, far more human, and then I'll pass it to Abe. I don't know that whoever at Meta is making that decision, like, yep, no, you're not getting any money over here, you suburb of Buffalo, if they are looking themselves in the mirror and saying, I got one question for myself, am I doing the right thing? But I'm going back 20 years from now, will will my grandchildren be proud that I snuffed out? Right. the you know the uh the mounted police daily (laughs) right (laughs) well well i mean and i think the answer is no so that's that's where i stand on it eight
3: it's a tough one i mean the uh you know i would say you know the hopefully the canadian government and and justin trudeau and 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 mark zuckerberg and all of facebook is sit down at a table have a couple pancakes and put some syrup on it and talk about it right which is the first question. It's like how much real communication other than press releases are they having?
2: Right. Yeah.
3: Is there a mediation on that? You know, the platform's important. So meta has a, a critical importance at a absolutely global level. I mean, the decision to to make a statement and then revert ad dollars elsewhere, bold, it's correct. You know, I think they have to do what's right and say, you know, at the end of the day, uh, this is this is a fundamental issue for us as a country. We want to, again, let's see how how Meta reacts and if they'll sit down correctly and, and discuss it and, and look back at themselves, you know, today and a week from now and, and do the right thing. And then subsequently, if they don't, you know, then there's a stance to say, uh, can, you know, should they make that move now? And the probably the answer is yes. And then can they, can there be an adjustment and a mediation over time that makes it fair and equitable for all? So yeah. let's see where, let's see where the issue goes. That's a hot one though.
2: Yeah, there there should be a, uh, a situation where everybody in the uh, media community, because they're all part of the media community, needs to figure out how everybody can can get their share. Um, that's my opinion. And that's where I'll state it. And And everybody should figure out how to do the right thing. But I don't blame the Canadian government at all for, for making a stand, because if you don't make a stand, it's, you know, this is gone, right?
0: yeah I, I'll just say this uh, quickly in in this in the realm of do the right thing. and at this at this moment, uh, branders are thinking like, is this a Spike Lee movie or is this a podcast? Right. Uh, but, but, but anyway, is that uh, a principle that I would like to see big and small companies employ? Creators should be compensated for their creation, right, even if they don't know how to be compensated right that it should just be figured out for the creator. So that's, that's, sure. that's a thought I have. All right, go ahead, Larry.
2: That's it. All right. So Abe, dude, this has been so much fun. I've been looking forward oh, to this for so too. long uh, and this is better uh, than I expected. Thank you,
3: thank you both. This has been a lot of fun and uh, boy, uh, I, you know, I, it started hot and ended hot. So I'll tell you. T- <laughs> well,
2: we I'll have a couple of learnings we want to Abe, before we get out of here. Okay. So, uh, DC, I'm going to start with my learnings. Uh, there's yeah. so many things, but I'm going to cull it down to five. And uh, Jeff Shirley would be happy to give the odd number five. Um, it, The first one goes back to who Abe is and brand nerds, no matter who you are, wh- what your personality type is, extrovert, introvert, whatever. Find your peeps. It's about the people mm-hmm. you work with. Yeah. Find a place that yeah. you feel like you fit. That's number one and that's professionally number two as a leader be like zoom ceo eric yuan and d is so funny you mentioned do the right thing you know it goes back to that and the mayor from do the right thing just do the right thing if you go to just that one foundational piece we all know just do the right thing that's number two number three Experiential marketing, Abe uh, was talking about the smart food situation, and he took it to another level. Creating an experience that is unforgettable and experiential marketing can really be that where you really emotionally connect with uh, with consumers or customers uh, right in front of them experientially. Uh, number four, Abe, take time for yourself. Figure out what is going to work for you. And Abe said, "There's not balance, but there is there's a balance, maybe not in a specific day, but in your life, you gotta find that balance and the last one the last one that Abe talked about um, I love this one is use tech to show you are caring, that you're not invasive, and we all know the difference. And as a marketer, you gotta know when you're when you're actually uh, putting forth digital marketing, figure out the difference of whether you're actually putting forth something that's caring versus something that's invasive. Those are my five.
0: All right. Uh, Those are dope, Larry. Uh, Abe and brand nerds, you don't know this. I've never listened to an episode of Brands Beats and Bites all the way through. Never. Uh, I don't like listening to myself. This is going to be the first one that I listen to from front to back because of you, Abe. All right. Here are my takeaways. The universe has a rhythm, and I think it gives us clues about life and and who we are. The first one is this. You started in Japan as a teacher, as a teacher. You're at Zoom, and when you all took off, you took off because you did the right thing by teachers. Yes, right. Right. Second, in Japan, it was a small town. You reference it as a small town, at least Larry did. When you had your uh, marketing moment in question number one that blew your mind, it was a Rotary meeting in a small rural town outside of uh, Boston. Small town Japan, small town outside of Boston, small classroom sizes often are the best teachers. And then when we talk with you about the people that, have influenced you. you. You mentioned many folks, Eric among them, your mother. Um, and you said this word. You said, you know, I'm I'm a disciple. I'm a disciple. And so what I thought, I thought my takeaway for you was going to be, you are like the penultimate teacher, but you're not. A teacher is a person who teaches, especially in school. You are actually a disciple of humanity. You are a disciple of humanity. So it's a follower or student of a teacher, leader, or philosopher. With that, I will end on this, another quote that I have discovered from Eric Yuang, and it is this, and by the way, that's the CEO of Zoom, Brand Nerds, empathy, humanity, and support for each other is more important than revenue, than growth. Yep. You're a disciple of humanity. A, hey, that's what you are.
3: Thanks, thank you, DC. Those are powerful words, man. And uh, I really, really enjoyed the time with both of you. And thank you for including me on this on this uh, podcast. It's really been a privilege uh, to be. I'm humble to be uh, amongst greatness. I'm just here. To, I'm just here to listen to your advice. So thank you. Thank you. I'm going to listen. to, This is the first podcast. I'm going to listen to to end. So
1: thank you. Just to hear the
3: last part. The first part and the last part, which my mom would be proud and then I will, I will learn and it'll, it'll, it'll take me to sleep every night so I can remember
2: good philosophy. Thank you both. Welcome, brother. Thanks. That's awesome. We're we're so glad you joined us. and Jade, I'm, I'm going to make the segue for, to the brand nerds. Thanks for listening to Brand Beats, and Bites recorded virtually on, on Zoom, Abe, and a production of KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM Radio and worldwide at kZSU.org. The executive producers are Jeff Shirley, Daryl D.C. Cobbin, Larry Tame, and Haley Cobbin, JK, and Tom Dioro. The Pod Father. That's him. And if you are listening to us via podcast, it would be great if you can please rate and review us. Additionally, if you do like the show, please subscribe and share. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and we look forward to next time where we will have more insightful and enlightening talk about marketing.
1: If you wish to contact us, our email is brandsbeatsbytes at kzsu.stanford.edu. Again. That is Brands, B-R-A-N-D-S, Beats, B-E-A-T-S, Bytes, B-Y as in yellow, T-E-S, at kzsu.stanford.edu.